Hey, good evening. A uh, nice winter evening, isn't it? Almost. <laughs> hey, good to have John back with us, all the way back from Michigan. And nobody's going to say that he brought the weather. <laughs> Nobody was going to say anything. (laughs) Well, anyway, we uh, are continuing in our Genesis 2, and uh, I think we were right around verse 7 last week talking about man. That's that's the crown of creation, and we're at uh, a great part of the Bible right here because... um, we know who we are. We know where we came from. We know where we're going. We know that uh, God has everything in control. Isn't that good to know that? That's basic stuff to us. But I want to tell you, to most of the world, it's not. Because mankind in general does not know who He really is. He does not know where He came from. He doesn't know where He's going. And uh, apart from biblical revelation and the Holy Spirit giving us what the truth is, we would not know either. It's all by His grace that He has shown us uh, where we came from. And uh, something that seems so simple is so profound, though, at the same time. Uh, I think we have a lot of questions that we could be asking people who uh, are atheists, agnostics, and uh, they don't have answers. And uh, some of the answers they come up with are incredible, uh, zoologists, for instance, there's one by the name of Desmond Morris. Uh, he calls man the naked, the naked ape. I guess he doesn't have hair on him, I guess is what the idea is. Uh, Karl Marx said that the essence of man is in his labor. It's, it's what he does. That's the essence of man. And then existentialists say that man is really essentially volitional. That means free will. That means man can do whatever he wants to do. His uniqueness is found in his own will. Uh, Then Hugh Hefner (laughs) says we are sensuous creatures and therefore we are to be understood in terms of passions or sexual performances. And then others see man as a large computer. There have been studies at universities spending millions of dollars showing uh, that man is really a computer. And so anyway, uh, some of these people, they see part of the picture. You know, there's a little bit of truth to what they're saying, but they don't see the whole thing. You know, we, you know, it's like flying over a forest. We see all the big trees there down underneath. They look small, but at the same time, we can see the, at least the picture of it. Uh, they can't see that. And without the Holy Spirit... Uh, revealing it to them, they they can't get that. But we have been given a supernatural revelation to be able to understand that. How we got here, where we're going, we know it. And I think it's it's just super great to know our origin, to know that. And uh, without a doubt, uh, God has given us so much information uh, packed in a book that we can carry around and we can know about ourselves. And more importantly, we can know about God. I think Calvin summed it up when he said, know yourself and know God. Those are the two things we really have to know. Uh, Of course, if we know ourselves, we realize we are people who are needy. We're sinful people, and we need God's mercy and grace and His love. And we need to know God. And, uh, of course, we only know God because God knows us. And he knows um, us incredible, uh, in an incredible way. He's the one that makes us. And we know about that. But anyway, with the creation of man, the real story begins. And you get um, a good idea of what creation was about in chapter 1. We are revealed a lot. Uh, but chapter 2 is where really the story of man is going to... Um, come on out and get a lot more uh, detail. We have one verse about man. I think it's in verse, basically in in verse 27, uh, where he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. But in chapter 2, we're going to get a lot more detail. Um, 
the Bible is not about the stars. It, it tells us about stars. It's not about the planets. It's not about um, uh, matter, any kind of geography. Those things are there, but it's not focused upon that. It's really, ultimately, we know it's about God, but it's also about God and the story of man and the story of man as far as redemption is concerned uh, from God. So everything that we've seen in chapter 1 is like a backdrop. It's scenery. Uh, The stage is now set for man to be put on the stage. And from chapter 2, verse 4, all the way on through uh, the book of Revelation, through chapter 22, and uh, actually through the rest of history, the rest of time, we see that um, God has a plan for, for man. So you could say time here is divided up into two categories. Chapter 1, it's about creation. And then, or chapter 1, creation. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, is where it starts off uh, with the rest of history, uh, the story of man. So the scene is set, stage is there, and it's ready for this saga of mankind. And that's us. So we get to read about us. Um, Verse 4, we looked at it last week. I won't spend too much time in this section. Um, I created enough havoc last year, uh, last week when I did this. Uh, But a good translation of that is, this is the generation of the heavens and the earth. And uh, another good way to interpret that or even translate it is this is the generation that comes from the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth generate mankind because that's really what this next section is all about in this context. It's not looking back and saying, okay, here's a summation of it. Although it can be, it could be that way, I'll allow that for people to interpret it. There are good interpreters that will do that too, commentators. But really... If you take the generation, and that's what we were trying to uh, hammer out last week uh, and and in other places where it talks about this is the generation. For some reason, they used a different word here in the English, uh, and that's where confusion, I think, really starts. Um, Looking at other people, the way that they worded this, it helps. It says, these are the generations of man when God created the universe. In the time that God was creating the universe, in those six days... Okay, man proceeds out of this. He's generated from this. Um, this is the beginning of man's story. Although man, man has already been mentioned, well, we now see details. We are in day six in, uh, in this area, in four through six, for instance, and then on, on through um, as we proceed. A um, couple of different ways we can interpret this, like in verses five and verse six. I'll give you a couple, and I'm not even dogmatic about it because, it, and there could be other, there are definitely other uh, interpretations of it. Don't want to confuse you. One of them simply is this, and I'll, this is this is the most, I think, the simplest one. I think it really makes sense. Is that he was preparing a garden for man to come in, and as we look in verse five, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field was grown, that doesn't necessarily mean the, all the rest of the earth. It can mean in that garden that he was uh, that he had made for man, and he's going to put man there. So there are uh, no uh, uh, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and uh, watered the whole face of the ground. So it's a preparation um, for man. And this is um, the great garden that God has has for him. So that's one thing that it could be. Very well could be that. Uh, another interpretation, pretty close to that, um, and I don't rule it out either. It could mean that before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb, um, that word for plant can mean something along the lines, uh, and we looked at it last week, we saw a lot of different uh, readings in our scripture on that, shrubs and such, and um, it, could even, it could even mean um, weeds, thorns, thistles, and by the time we get to chapter 3, where we have the sin of mankind, only the next chapter, we're already into the sin of man. Uh, but in chapter 3, verse 
17, you get the cursing of the ground, uh, and um, where it says, Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Anyway, you're going to have to toil. You're going to have to work really hard. He worked beforehand. We'll, we'll see that he's assigned work. He's given work. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. Um, that's what God has p- planned for us here, that we do here on earth right now. And in the time of glory, we will also have uh, work to do. It'll be a joyous work. It won't be any kind of work that we try to avoid. By the way, we should enjoy the work that we even have here today, uh, that we live in this time. Uh, but it, it will be without toil, like uh, somewhat like what uh, Adam was before sin. So it could be before there was any kind of weeds that were coming up or before there was any kind of, when it says herbs, it can even mean the grains, it can mean uh, the corn, the wheat, those kind of things. So there's another option. I just throw that out saying you might run into that. I've seen it even in some study Bibles. I think I saw it in the Reformation study Bible um, that was put out a few years ago. And so that was interesting to read. Then others uh, don't take it that way. It's okay. Uh, I, I think there is uh, definitely room to uh, to roam around in that and not have to be dogmatic. Those, those are suggestions, good ideas. Uh, it's. I don't think it's taking us back to the, the before the third day of creation, uh, but I do think what he is really hammering out more than anything is that there is a Garden of Eden that God has planned for man, and I think that's the key issue of what we're trying to establish. So, any kind of um, confusion we might have had from last week, to sum it up, we've got a great plan that God has for Adam, this man that's going to be created. Um, just a note on that mist that went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and we'll be running into that as we talk about the rivers. Um, a very good translation of of that is uh, better than a than a mist. Uh, it's like a flow uh, in the literal Hebrew. There's a flow that's coming up out of the ground. There's no rain. Uh, we are, we're not told when rain happened, but I've always believed it to be, and I still believe that way. It didn't happen till uh, the flood. It could have. There's, you know, you don't see it anywhere. But I don't see any rain. There's no need for any rain because God supplies that garden with all the water that it needs. And when you get the description of this water that comes up from the earth. Um, there, and it's continual. It's better than a rain because a rain is going to be hitting and missing. Uh, when you take Texas, for instance, there are certain spots in Texas that didn't have any rain for months and months, and they just got rain last week. They got a whole inch. And uh, they were in a severe drought. Um, and that's part of the, the curse. That's part of the punishment uh, upon uh, the, the world. And we have to depend upon that rain. It's usually pretty steady, but you can't always count on it. We've, we've suffered through uh, some sorts of droughts before. We've suffered through time whenever it just seemed to just rain and rain and rain. Didn't we experience that back in the spring? Did we have a lot of rain in the spring? Did we have it this year? Maybe. Yeah, we sure had a lot of snow. Was it the year before we had a lot of rain? Well, we had tornadoes and stuff. Remember all that? But uh, anyway... Severe weather conditions happen, and that didn't happen in the Garden of Eden and at creation. There weren't winds. There weren't rain. We didn't have those kind of systems. God had it perfectly made out the way it was. Can you imagine a perfect day every day and not having to toil for your food and have to worry about anything, and you're walking and talking with God? One day, we'll have that experience. That will really happen. Only even better than Adam. Because he wasn't glorified. He was still in a body that was created. Even though he was sinless at first till sin, uh, still yet there were um, there were things there. But anyway, um, I, I don't think the ground had to be worried to be about being tilled up in a, in a toiling way and battling with weeds. We know that. So uh, I can see how this could be set up before... As man was being created and before there was sin, here's the condition of the earth 
And even better, in the Garden of Eden. Here's how good it was. God has that. And uh, so he's telling us the conditions were super. They were perfect. They were good just the way that he wanted it. And now the, uh, the Garden of Eden, we know, is, uh, it is prepared for man. And uh, this is all the time that man was created. No curse. All right. Um, why don't we... Uh, hey, why don't we start with a word of prayer? <laughs> there were no winds. And I'm kind of windy tonight. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Father, we thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And we come to adore You uh, every time that we go into Your Word. It's about worship. Even though it doesn't seem to be a worship service, uh, every moment, every day of our life should be worship. And indeed, when Your people get together, when we gather around Your Word to get... Uh, your truth as we glean some special teaching that you have that goes against the grain, especially in the time that we live in, of what the world is teaching. And uh, Father, may we be able to embrace these truths and be able to take these truths to a lost world that is in need of the knowledge of how we got here and where we're going. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's look at verse 7. Let's look at this great verse. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's a loaded verse. And what do you see, first of all, besides the and the? And that's pretty good, too. Those are probably important, too, aren't they? Every word of God is. Lord God. There we get His name again, Yahweh, Elohim. And we've seen that in verse 4. We've seen that in verse 5. And now we see it in verse 7. You'll see it in verse 8 and verse 9. Just keep looking and you'll, you'll see that sticking out quite incredibly uh, to your eyesight. Uh, the Lord God, Yahweh, that self-existent one, and the one who is considered to be the Creator God, He formed man. And the word for man is Adam. And so that is, um, that is His name also. Adam. He formed Him. So we're going to get detail now to that fact that was found in verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now, we don't get a lot of detail on that. And there's no reason to because God is going to give us a lot of detail in the next chapter. And so therefore, there's really no trouble with chapter 2 being another different creation account that contradicts chapter 1, is it? Because in verse 4 he says, now here is the generation. Here's what comes out of this creation. In the time that God was creating, he formed man of the dust of the ground. Quite an incredible statement. That's supernatural. This is how God did it. He gives us detail now. Why do people want to say chapter 2 is another creation account and it contradicts chapter 1? When you read it for what it's worth, uh, it's going back and saying, oh, filling it in. He's coloring this in now. He's giving us something more. Um, Same basic elements that everything else that is made materially as he takes it out of the ground, out of the the dust here. Uh, The same atomic elements. How many elements have they discovered now? How many are there? 100 and what? I think whenever I was in school, this probably dates it, but I think we had 104 or something whenever I went to school. They found more though, haven't they? 120? 110? I don't know. No science majors here? Okay. I got away with that one, didn't I? Okay. Same chemical elements as as uh, we saw in uh, other things that he's made physically. So he breathes into the nostrils of this man. Uh, that That's a breath of life that he's breathing there and man becomes a living being. Now, what should remind us here is that this is not uh, some, um, there wasn't some kind of a man before Adam. 
You've heard, have you ever heard of a pre-Adamic race? That's incredible because there's no such thing. You know, man, the first man was Adam. And we get it right here, and here's how it happened. And he didn't come from a monkey. He didn't come from anywhere else. This is what is stated. And so there we have it. There's no um, no other kind of man uh, that had been made. He's made right here. He's made out of dust. And from a supernatural God, I don't see how that could cause any problem. Uh, wouldn't it be as more ridiculous for a man just to come out of an ape without any kind of supernatural uh, work of it? But supernaturally, we come right out of the, the dust. That is amazing. But he takes those elements and he makes us up out of the ground. So, Lord God formed. Yes, Audrey. Mr. Comfort, that I've, I've tried to reconcile without success in between verses... Should we get into that? Okay, no. Okay. <laughs> it probably won't solve it, right? No. Well, what, first of all, he's given us uh, an overall general thing. He, he, he made man. By the way, he also made man and woman. Of course, we know later that the woman is taken out of a man, but they were both it's still a creation of God. No trouble with that, right? right. So he creates them male and female. And uh, then God, is he blesses them. And what is it? Uh, be fruitful and multiply? Is that... What what stumbles you? Well, that's all on the sixth day. And then in chapter 2, we get to the Adam and the Eve, and then they don't have any children until after the fall. Does that happen all in one day? What, okay, what, so what, what is the deal? God blesses them. He says, be fruitful and multiply. But when do they start multiplying? We don't have any information, but we're not talking in one day did they start to multiply. I mean, uh, the fruits of that is not until an extra time. Is that what you mean? No, no, that's all right. Go ahead. Well, the thing is... Do you get it? The thing is is that my impression is that they did have children before the fall because after the fall... Part of the sin, part of the punishment was that now she was going to have a hard time bearing children. So apparently, at some point, she didn't have. We don't get them. That's not all filled in. That's kind of none of your business. (laughs) (laughs) No. Is it? Is it? But well, it's the fall, everyone. Well, where'd the other children go? Did they stay in the garden? Hey, we're okay. <laughs> we're getting ahead. <laughs> we might have to cover that in our next chapter, next year. No, <laughs> no, that's that's legitimate. Uh, but I I don't think I I'm following exactly what what you're saying then. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to you later. I'm, I'll have to figure that one out. Yeah, out of out of Adam, Eve was made on that very same day, and he had already named the animals on that same day. So he was, that was a busy day. Yes, it was. Adam was created, and then he realized there was different for him than all of them. That's why a lot of people would say, if we give a day like uh, uh, an age, now that gives him plenty of time to go out and name those animals. But I'll tell you what, I don't think he probably had to go too far to see all those animals. And we know that uh, when you... 
when you have one kind of animal, it's not that he's naming every little animal and an offshoot of that animal of that you know of all of those all at that one time, but he gives those names. Matter of fact, I'm sure Eve probably said, "Why did you name that elephant an elephant? Because I named it elephant. <laughs> Why did you name that tiger? Because that's what I named it. With a mind that he had, I'm sure he could work very quickly anyway and immediately come up with names like that. And maybe God is kind of helping giving him those names too. Yeah, he doesn't mean pulled down like sin like we are. Right. Yeah, that's the whole thing. We do not realize how And he doesn't have to worry about those animals trying to, um, to kill him, you know, to eat him. They're not going to do that. They're friendly as can be. Everything's... So I don't. As far as time and all that happening, uh, you know, you can get a lot of things done in an hour. <laughs> but uh, yeah, God caused uh, caused the woman to be uh, to be created right at that same time after He had already been doing some things already to show Him that He needed some help. I'm sure after he started start, uh, named some of those, he's saying, "Oh boy, this is getting a little bit difficult now. I'm well, starting to run out of names." No. <laughs> What's that? Did he create band-aids too for his ribs? Band-aids. <laughs> uh, I think God uh, did quite a healing job there. Probably no no band-aids at that time. That's right. There's another good one. They ha- they needed no band-aids. <laughs> no such thing. Hadn't thought about that. Leave it to Michael to come up with that one. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, he formed. He formed. You know, Job knew about God creating. Job came along a little bit later than this, but he definitely knew about God being the creator. And in the ten, chapter 10, It's like he's talking to God here. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity, yet you would destroy me. (laughs) Remember, I pray that you have made me like clay and you will turn me into dust again. He knows that he came from the dust. Speaks of the clay, speaks of the dust. Uh, You're the one who made me, fashioned me, you formed me. You did that. Even he knew that. Well, of course he did. That was common knowledge. Um, why would you take... How much of, of the uh, universe or in our world today would you think that people don't believe that God formed them? Well, much of the Christian realm would say that, but even you know there, there are liberals in the Christian realm that don't believe that, not the way that this was brought out. So not all Christians believe in it. And I'm not so sure out of all the other religions they believe in some kind of creator God, but do they believe in the creation story that Genesis puts forth? Maybe a lot of your Jewish people do, um, but a lot of them don't take the Bible as being true. So I'd say the percentage is probably far less than a half. Maybe far less than 25%. Maybe less than 10%. I think when we think of Abraham and then Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the numbers just kind of kept coming uh, come down, didn't they? So I don't know how many really believe in this creation story, but it's incredible that um, I think we can take God's word for it. It's simple. Uh, in Romans 9, I, and I love that section, Romans 9, where it talks about God being the potter, and we are the, uh, in verse 20, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and to another for dishonor? The point that we're making here, we can go into something else if we wanted to, but the point here is that this is is taken in a sense that they're going to, Answer, well, of course. Yeah, He is the potter. Yes, we are the clay. Yes, He did make us. Yes, He does have control over us. It's an obvious question that He's asking that uh, anybody would 
would have and should have said, well, of course, he's the potter. I'm, I'm the clay. All through the Old Testament, you'll see that quite frequently. The potter and the clay, the prophets. And, of course, Paul picks up on and talks about that. What is one of the famous chapters in all the Bible that um, people who are pro-lifers use? 139. Psalm 139. Matter of fact, I think this would be very fitting to kind of read through uh, a lot of this to uh, kind of help support where we're at in Genesis. The psalm writer here certainly knew about uh, the creation of God. David wrote this. And uh, starting verse 1, O Lord, and he calls Him Yahweh there, personal name. You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. He knows it before we even say it. (laughs) You have hedged me behind and before and laid Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't understand it. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from Your Spirit? Or where can I flee from Your presence? When we sin, don't, don't we like to try to just hide from God for a while? Uh, Adam and Eve tried to do that. Does it work, does it? We can't hide from Him. If I ascend into heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there Your hand shall lead me and Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And here we go. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. (laughs) Penitent Psalms. They speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. But then he says, more famous right here with this song, right? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God knows us from every thought, every part of us. Yes. Completely off here. Then. Verse 21 in Psalm 121. Yeah, I should have stopped at verse 18. Because we're going into a different part. But uh, David... Where's John? Yeah. Okay, where are we okay. at uh, Well, no problem. No problem at all. Um, he had uh, evil, wicked men who hated God, who hated David. And um, if they hate God, then David wants a perfect hatred to God is angry at the wicked every day. So it's not the hatred that we think of. A godly hatred. A godly hatred, which is what most people can't have, basically. We don't... um, Right. We don't... We really struggle with having that ability to to hate that way. Right. We're we're, we're to love everybody. We're to love our enemies. Absolutely. Yet, there is a sense of... Of we hate that they that they don't understand God, that they don't love Him, and that they don't respect Him and honor Him. Is, is that? And that's really what it is. We should never take anything personal, but that what somebody has just said or done to me, I need to reflect that back off and take it to God. It's Him who they are harming or, or trying to harm, or they uh, are hating Him. They're despising Him. 
So even if they say something to me, really, there's a hatred of God that they have. And so, and there they were. They were trying to kill. David is a, is a man who is chosen by God to eventually lead, lead the people. It's almost in a way like we're really, we hate the sin part of that. Is that... Yeah, yeah, and... We don't really hate the person. I mean, the person doesn't, in a sense... Oh, this is what it is. It's a perfect hatred. He says, and you search my heart, God. If this is not a perfect hatred, then you make it right with me. You show me. You convict me. But if you have a perfect hatred, it's it's because those people are evil and wicked and they are enemies of God. They hate Him. We want to hate any kind of sin, anything that is against God, but yet we still are to have the love for that individual and we would do anything it would take to give them truth, you know, to know who God is. But when it comes down to what they were doing and how they loathed God, then David is angry with that. He says, okay, you can know my heart. After saying all this now, we can sum this up. You have perfect knowledge of me. You go into my heart and, and tell me whether I, I am wicked or not in my thoughts. And so... Um, that is where it kind of fits into context. And so often David does that. Now, with God having perfect knowledge of man, because he creates man, then we shouldn't have any trouble at all of realizing that uh, he's the creator, he forms, he made us exactly the way he wanted us. Whatever it may be, however your nose is, your eyes, or your hair, or whatever, what you like, what you don't like, he did it. And he probably said, <laughs> that's pretty good. I love that nose on Helton there. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Not on Zach. <laughs> okay, back halfway on the subject. Um, verse 8 says, in my book it says, she or Sheol or something. That means it's like hell. It's another word. Isn't that right? For uh, d- departed uh, the, the dead. Place of the dead. Yeah, it's not. uh, Sometimes we can think of hell fire, which is the uh, um, the the trash heap, um, Gehenna. But this is uh, the place where people die, and they will go. S H E O L. Sheol. Sheol. You did good. Did good. That's in your translation. Yeah. What do you have? I have. The NRSV. Okay, that's pretty close to an ESV, believe it or not. Okay, very good. All right, um, formed. Okay, how about man? We said that was Adam, right? That's the same one as in Genesis 1.27. And so now that's showing that this is this same man. And so he formed man from the what? The dust. The dust. The dust. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Job. Let's see what Job has to say. This um, Job four nineteen. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth? What is he saying here? Uh, this is Eliphaz in, in Job, but uh, whenever he says house of clay, that's not talking about a literal house that we live We're talking about this that houses us, uh, a house of clay. Foundation is in the dust. Uh, crushed before a moth, broken in pieces, that kind of thing, as Eliphaz relates how... Uh, low we can be. Look at back in 10, where we were at earlier, in chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. I think we read those, probably both of those. Maybe verse 8. Your hands have made me, fashioned me in intricate unity, yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray that you have made me like clay, and you'll turn me into dust again. So he was able to form him into, uh, uh, it was a formation, but he says, I can go right back into the dust. I will. They, they knew that pe- when people died, they went back where they came from. 
their elements will go back in into that earth. Somehow God is going to, in, in one sense, retrieve all those elements if He wants to, put them back together, and we'll have us as far as our body is concerned when we meet that. And that's our resurrection body, which will be much better. People are always wondering, well, what happens if somebody's body is just smattered all over the place? You know, How's God going to retrieve all that? <laughs> Believe me. He created us. He sure is not going to have any trouble recreating that uh, a glorified body. Um, so, what's the idea of this dust then? One thing, it's it's low. It's humble. There's the lowness here. It's not evil because everything that God made is good. But when we think of this, man always has to be reminded that he is not God. And that's the problem a man has. And even in today... Um, the time that we live in, people really think they're God. And some of them will even say they're God. We have a New Age religion that's really old age because it goes back to the time of the garden with the serpent there. <laughs> and you will be like God. Uh, so people uh, like our Shirley MacLaine go around saying they're God, right? Um, man has been breathed into by God and so that keeps a balance. We're, we come from the dust. We can think just low as we can be, but at the same time, we must keep the balance. We can say, yeah, but God breathed life into us. That came right from God. And so that's an image of glory there also in this verse as he's relating to the dust, but also God breathing that uh, life into us, an, an image of Him. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? But He always wants us to know that uh, we came from dust and we'll go back to dust. And when you have, um, what, burial ceremonies, sometimes the old-time preachers and the, uh, preachers will say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Okay. Uh, so man is low, man is humble, but he's destined for glory also. Yes? I think that you've already said this, but I think it's interesting that God put life into animals and plants, but he breathed. I mean, I think that's that a special breathing into us life. Since we're made in his Yeah, we are. Uh... In, in some ways, we're, we're kind of like animals. We don't come from them, and, and we're different. But there's something special that He's given His spiritual life to us, and we're souls like that. What's that? It doesn't talk about Him breathing life into plants or into animals. Yeah. Yeah, but when we're, when we're talking about... This is going to be my question when we got the breath of life, but since Carmel brought it up... Um, when we were talking about him making the animals, I distinctly remember somebody saying something to the effect of the animal having um, nephesh, living yeah. creature. Yeah, yeah, and that's the same thing that's said of man here. Only man goes up much higher in the so sense the, that the what is that compared to the breath of life? The, the well, he gives he gives life a breath of life to. Um, Two animals, I think, if we look. But but what Carmelo's talking about, there's there's the spiritual aspect that, um, and soulish aspect in man that is not in uh, Chapter seven is another one we can go to of Genesis, and I'm not so sure which verse. Somebody might have it quicker than me, and if you do, yell it out. Save me some time here. Uh, I think it's verse 22. All on whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. Uh, he destroyed all living things which are on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing. So, you know, he gave them a breath of life. I mean, there was something that where they, they could now move. Uh, there was a, uh, they were generated. Uh, their heart starts pumping. There's life there. God is the one who puts life. How else, where else could it come from? Okay, so when you're talking then about back in chapter 2, verse 7, then and, and you're talking about the breath of life, is that a different uh, what is it, a Hebrew word then or something? Or well, he, are we just are we just are we just saying? Oh no, it's different for us. Where are we coming up with? Well, he's different? breathing. There is a the relationship that's involved here as he breathes, and I think that's what Carmel is talking about. He's breathing in to the nostrils. 
this breath of life. It's not only just a life that is where uh, the physical parts of man is now being generated and he's, he can now move like like the animals were, but now there's a spiritual, uh, the soulish life. Uh, man is conscious of who he is and what he's about. He now can he can relate to who God is and what this creation is about. He can understand. He has an intellect about him. That's the difference between a man and an animal. Well, as or other than just as well, just staying in the he communicates with God and he. Yeah. Is that where you? Where well, we, in Genesis four twenty four, when he created all living creatures, he said nothing of praising the dust life. In Jesus. Well, not only he just that, said, let them come about, from the ground. Right, and he also talks about creating the animals, and if you look at the chemical composition of animals versus man, you're going to come up with a lot of the same kind of stuff. But he doesn't say he formed the animals out of the dust of the earth. It's a little, it's a little different, but like it's more personal. Mm-hmm. No, in 124, just says, let the earth bring forth. Right. So. Right. He created them, and they're made of the same kinds of stuff, but he didn't form them out of the dust of the earth. Yeah, there's a special part in this creation. The, the living creature, that's Nefesh. He gave everything the breath of life, right? But he so the breath of in us. breath of life is just the uh, ability to yeah. be alive, and this uh, breathing into us is where we're getting everything else that we're getting different. No, that's just a, it. Actually, is a different word in Czech, but it's not a not the place. We don't want to go there to like build our theology of men and women or men and animals are different it's, it's what, well I think what they're trying to say is it's not a it's not a quantitative difference it's not like I mean sorry, it's not a qualitative difference like we're made of different component parts we don't need to say like they have one special Hebrew spirit and we have another special Hebrew spirit or anything like that it's just there are a bunch of little indications in the text that there was something special going on at the end of day six when God he did everything else the same way and all of a sudden Something's different. This time he's not just speaking, he's breathing. This time he's not off saying, let there be animals, but he's using his hands to create form with the dirt. There's something extra special here. And then he tops it off with an extra special command to have dominion over the whole earth. And then he says, oh yeah, by the way, you and you alone are created in my image. So it's it's not like there's one thing that we're going to extrapolate the whole theology from. It's just all these special things culminating in the command and promise of birth, declaration of God that we are created in His image. Very good. That, uh, yeah, Ruach, I think, appears in 7. And there's another word here that is um, very related to Ruach, but I don't think it's Ruach here in 2.7, even though my commentators will say the word Ruach. And I can't remember what the Hebrew word is, but it, it means the same thing. And so, therefore, when we're talking about this um, this breath of life, we'll, uh, there is, we just can't just take one one word or one phrase. And like what what you're saying there, Ryan, I, I like that because as we look at the context that goes on further, and as that expands, we'll see uh, an absolute difference there that's being done. But as far as uh, a, a living being, a living creature, the nephesh, as, as it's worded once, the, the living being, he came that. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, the difference that he takes in, in what he does with man there, a special, special sense. Um, when we talk about the dust, we're talking about not only is it it's it's lowly, it it um, it also shows that it's a symbol of not only of, of little worth. I mean, in the sense you take dust. I mean, it's, it's it's a common thing there all over the earth. But it also it's a symbol of frustration. Um, if you look in Genesis, just in the next chapter, uh, verse fourteen. Here you have sin that has happened. And you have the serpent here, and God speaking to him. He says, "Because you have done this, you are cursed, 
cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. Or on, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I don't say I don't think that he's saying here that the, that's the food that the serpent's going to have. What it's saying that's how low uh, that you're going to be thought of, uh, representing the this first serpent that we see in the Bible here. Uh, that's that's uh, a frustration because that's where it's at. It's a symbol of defeat, uh, humiliation. You can go to Isaiah 65. And again, he'll use the word dust in the same kind of sense. 65, what did I say? 20, verse 25? 65, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be... The serpent's food. The dust should be the serpent's food. Again, he puts that forth. Um, humiliation. Total defeat. It's also a symbol of death. Um, in 319, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So it's lowly, it's uh, it's frustrating because of defeat, humiliation. We're talking uh, death here. You can look through Job and see that over and over again when he talks about returning back to the dust. And so that's used even in Ecclesiastes and uh, Job quite frequently. Then it also takes another turn though. You go from despair also to glory in all of this because the psalm writer saw that it's not just staying with that concept, but there will be glory to come. Um, Look in 103 of Psalms. Fourteen. For He knows our frame... He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. We've heard of this one, right? As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to keep to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. There you have something that shows that, oh, well, man's days are like grass. It's here and it's gone and that's it. Um, But then he comes back and he says, like the wind passes over and it's gone. But then the mercy of the Lord comes in. You see bad news. You see humility. You see death. And then all of a sudden, in verse 17, it speaks of what? God's mercy. Everlasting to everlasting. And to all those who fear Him, all of those who are believers, who have His righteousness, then we have good news, don't we? So even in that idea of dust, the dust goes to glory. Matter of fact, R.C. Sproul has a series called From Dust to Glory. Well, am I reading too much into it when I stop and I think, uh, okay, dust, I'm seeing the negative things that you were talking about, death, Serpent's going to eat the dust uh, and those kind of things. Uh, The dust is lowly, okay? It's it's, but we're we're made of dust. Yep. So I mean, I'm reaching too far. Well, I think what it reminds us: Are you reminded constantly all day long that we fall short of God's glory? Do you, you see sin all around you? You hear some bad news, somebody dies. It makes you think. Then you look out in the fall of the year when all the leaves are falling off. Uh, I mean, you can think of every mundane thing as you go through the day and you can see, oh, that was a consequence of sin. And and we need to be reminded of that, and we are. I think God made that to be that way, and we're even made of dust. We look at our bodies and just think, now I've read this in Genesis, now what am I going to be thinking the rest of the day? I'm just dust. Yeah, but then on the other side, we can take even the worst things. I think of Romans 8.28. <laughs> the worst things, and God can turn them into something good. So that's how great of a God we have. So that's what the psalm writer saw. He saw that we're dust. Yes, we die, but then all those ones that are of His, 
have glory to come. So that keeps the balance. That's good news, isn't it? God's grace, His mercy. Oh man, thank you, Lord. If we were just stuck in this dust, and that's as far as we're going to go, and we're just we're sinners and we have no hope, that's what that's where a lot of people are at. That's why they they commit suicide and do the things that they do because they have no hope. And all throughout the Bible, hope is there. What's that? God's kind of ironic a little bit right here. I mean, making us out of dust and He knows these things, right? Well, you know, He he does this dust thing because it's something uh, of commonality. There's, It's not lifted up. It's, that's the problem with man. Sin makes him think that he's better than he is and he deserves much more. I deserve better than this. Why does this happen? And we're rising up against a holy God who knows better. Too bad there would be sin because we'd never do that. But there is sin. It reminds us of, and even Adam, who had never sinned, still had to see the humility in the sense that he was made from that. He didn't create himself. He didn't go around taking credit for the trees that were made, right? Because the trees were already there before he was made. Man was the last one made. It's a good thing. Otherwise, he would have taken credit for all the plants that we have. I'm sure somehow man is trying to do that. <laughs> but it's a good thing because we, we rise from despair to glory when we see the good news that is written and threaded all throughout Scripture from Genesis 1, and especially when we see it when man falls, God's mercy and grace is still there as He does the Proto-Evangelium. He gives us the good news for the first time. Although we're seeing good news right here, all this creation, isn't it? But bad news has to happen in chapter 3. And here's the greatness of God. He still offers the grace. I think that's incredible even when we see that. And we can take it in balance and realize that, oh, he knows what he's doing. One last thing, we're done. Um, In chapter 2 there, um, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Now we had Adam before, right? Man is Adam. And now the word for ground, Adama. So Adam is related to the ground. Man is related to the ground. He came from the ground. Kind of humble, but yet it's something that God created. It's a good thing. Only thing is, in chapter 3, the ground was cursed. (laughs) And all of creation was. Man is more than dust. And there's a connection between God's spirit and man's spirit. And that's what we were relating to there as we were just talking about it earlier. The nostrils, the breath of life. He breathed there. Uh, the divine spirit. And so uh, we are much above it. And we see that man does not seek out God today. But in John 3, it talks about the wind that blows. And we really don't know exactly where it came, what's going on here. But we see the Spirit of God. Man is born of the water and Spirit. Uh, it's the Spirit of God that now awakens us to Him again because man in his sin does not have the Spirit of God residing in him. He can't communicate with God. It's been cut off. But John 3 shows that now we have a new relationship. And even though our image has been effaced, we retain still some vestiges of that kind of state that we were in at one time, but yet every part of us was totally depraved in every avenue. Mind, emotions, will, everything. Yes, Audrey. I just don't want you to get going to John 20.22. Well, I hadn't even thought of it. What's that? Let's get to the surprise. Fire away. Them and say unto them, Receive me the Holy Ghost. 
I think that's something special there, isn't it? What kind of a picture are we getting there? What's happening there? John, matter of fact, uh, we know that he, he writes with creation in mind right from chapter 1, John, doesn't he? In the beginning, God... What? <laughs> when well, Genesis, God created, but in the beginning we see the, the Word was with God. Oh, and in the name, God, and there, we see the generations Spirit. of the heavens and the earth that God created. In the name, yeah. Yeah. He was earthy, but yet he, the Spirit of God was in him. And so this John is a precursor of the Holy Spirit who's going to come uh, and be upon those ones that were in the upper room, the 120 in Acts chapter 1 there. And so therefore we have a, a fuller revelation of the, the Holy Spirit who is now living in uh, God's people. Uh, and that's an incredible thing. We have the Spirit of God living in us. He has breathed in us again, as, as you pointed out there in John 20 to the apostles. What did you talk about there in John? Um, and he breathed on them they received the Holy Spirit. Is that what happens to us when, right, when we get saved? I mean, we automatically are just... Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates us, and now we have uh, a mind uh, to be able to know who God is and what sin is. We repent. We, we have faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to life. And that Spirit and breathing into there is kind of related with what, what Audrey is saying there about the spiritual life compared to when, when God breathed in there. He not only gave Him life, but a way of connecting with God now, which He did in the garden. They, they walked and talked with Him in the cool of the day. So, we have the... Uh, completion of that again when we have new birth, new life. New life. Makes sense, doesn't it? Recreated. New creation. New birth. Thank you, Lord. By the Holy Spirit that some religions talk about is just like a buoy, right? Baptism of the Holy Spirit is whenever He comes and resides in you. What they're talking about, though, is that you... 